it's not a simple process on either side, right? You can't just say, I'm going to quit this thing because if you do, we have to start the rewiring process of our brain. Yeah. We have it in us to, to want and desire comfort from other humans, but for whatever reason, we have found other ways to exist. And so even though our brain is made up to connect with another human, and to receive comfort inside relationship, just quitting an addiction won't mean that we have practice around engaging with relationship. I'm Angela. And I'm Chad. And we discuss issues that couples face in everyday life. Then we set you up to have a conversation with your partner that's designed to bring you closer together. This is the Connecting Couples Podcast with the Real Emhoffs. Real conversations for a real connection. Welcome back to our series on addiction. And man, we have spent a lot of time talking about definitions and ideas and what is addiction, what is an addiction, dependence, abuse, use, all these things. And I just want to say we're finally to the point where we're, we're going to get rid of some of the qualifiers and start diving into what we see and, and what kind of the problem is, why is this thing really a problem? And what are the things that, that hurt us the most? You know, a lot of times when you're talking about addiction, people say, why can't somebody just, uh, as Bob Newhart said in that funny skit, stop it, quit, don't do that. That's bad for <laughs> you. Don't, don't do you it. know that hurts? Quit. Right. Quit your sinning is what my you know, church <laughs> origins would tell right. me. But, but with, with something that we have turned to over and over for relief, it's not as simple as just quit. Mm -hmm. Habits are developed and they have a function and a purpose that they serve. And so as painful as that might be to live in that place or to have a partner who lives in that place, we have to look at it at a a much bigger level. It's a harder thing than just don't do this thing anymore. I think about the more we talk about this, the more I think I'm addicted to a lot of things (laughs) Uh, and how hard it is to actually stop some of the things that I want so desperately to shift in my life or even starting a new habit when I think think about wanting to add exercise or add, you know, saving money or stop my spending. Uh, spending, by the way, wasn't it in our exhaustive list, our non-exhaustive list from last time, I think. Oh, <laughs> Amazon.com. Yeah, online purchasing yep. can be buying things. Anyway, the list will keep that growing might be one of mine. <laughs> as we continue this podcast. But the idea then is to go, yeah, just stop. What, now that you have an awareness just go ahead and adjust your behavior and just give that up. That's bad. You shouldn't do that. And Hey, we- that's easy. Why? We're done. This was a good <laughs> series, and I think we can wrap it up right here. So this reminds me of the idea, uh, if you are a movie fan or if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, you know, there's that scene in, I think, the Temple of Doom way back. I'm aging ourselves in like 90s films. Um, when he, and even if you haven't seen the movie, this scene has been played out, but he has a statue that he's like gone into this cave to take as an artifact. And he has to take the statue off of this, uh, you know, scale, basically trapped rig thing. And so he has a bag of sand and he has to put the bag of sand where the statue is going to be removed from. And it has to be the exact weight. And if it's not, then it triggers a whole you know slew of domino effect of of like defying boulders <laughs> and snakes yeah. probably but who knows if i think about this idea that i'm about to give up something and i you know in the 12 step recovery program that we are the ministry leaders of i say this all the time if we would give to our health and our recovery 
a fraction of the amount of energy that we spent on our dysfunctional behaviors, we would all be the healthiest humans imaginable. Because some of these negative uh, coping strategies and some of these unhealthy behaviors and some of these addictive substances now have become so ingrained in our patterns and in our habits and in our daily life that if we just try to remove them, we have a huge void something is desperately missing even in that social media thing i think you know i put my phone down for three days and didn't want to look at it and i found myself fidgety going oh this is when i would have been scrolling through my social media or scrolling through the newsfeed or scrolling through whatever that addictive thing is because i have built it into my habits and hang-ups and now to just remove it doesn't work. You've it got leaves to a vacuum. fill it back up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, in in some of these um, addictions, and and whether it's a chemical addiction or whether it's a behavioral or process addiction, they build pathways. Literal, they all literally they alter the structure of your brain and and the neurons that fire together for comfort. They kind of wire together over time. And I'm quoting people here, but I want to say that like it's not just as simple as hey, stop that because your brain's still going to say, but I have a need, but this is how we solve life. This is how we do life. And so it's not as simple as just saying, hey, I'm going to quit that because your brain, it's not just a simple habit, right? We're saying this is like literally a way that your brain has learned to cope with life. And a lot of times we'll see in recovery and in the work that we do that somebody will just replace an unacceptable substance or habit with a more acceptable one. Yeah. So somebody will go from, let's say, smoking to overeating. Well, now I have to give up the overeating. Well, now they're giving up the eating, but they're managing their food and exercise in a way that's also unhealthy or managing their pounds or tracking their... Turn to control around this area. to control. So that's the challenge is it's not just... It's not even just replace one behavior with another behavior. And we we can look at, and we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, we can look at somebody who exercises a lot and works a lot and is super, you know, tidy and efficient. And you think that person is a healthy person and you dig deep and that person has no awareness of their own anxiety or that they have a really hard time connecting around their pain. And so that is the, the trap with what we even want to define as healthy because somebody can have a whole bunch of what looks like healthy behaviors, but they're still being used. And and by the way, I'm going to go on record saying I would much rather a person, you know, over clean their house than binge watch or, you know. And eat a bunch of Oreos or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But I'm like, well, it's like, I'll say this too. I have a friend. He quit meth. 20 years he's been doing meth. He says, nobody will ever throw you in jail for eating Doritos. (laughs) He's like, this is a way better negative coping skill, right? And and so it's like, I think there are levels. And I think as you step out of like alcoholism or or an addiction to alcohol or dependence on alcohol, if you're drinking, eating more sugar, kind of to replace that, that, that sugar and alcohol, like that makes sense. Right. And, and most of the time sugar doesn't kill you as quick as alcohol does. I even have somebody who I was working with who used to overspend and got into a bunch of debt. And then as she worked herself out, 
she actually still will say now I would say in the dependence abuse or use abuse possibly yeah. still thrift stores but she <laughs> says the so the fix is still there but I'm not spending a fraction of the cost right, and so right, we had right. but she said it's still a problem so we actually started unpacking what we want to bring up now which is why then do you even need the fix? What do you get when you want to go to that thrift store and buy a bunch of stuff that you don't necessarily need? What's the thrill? What's behind it? Right. What are the emotions? And so we want to take just a moment in this episode to discuss some of those habits and why they're so strong. What is the underlying motivation or void, as Chad is saying, that we're trying to satisfy with this strategy that we've adapted on the surface level man it, it's i want to just jump to the answer here kind of i'm like it, do it and let's work back okay 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 <laughs> well but i'm saying we're all born with an innate need for others mm. for people for connection right and so in that need there's a problem in some ways because we think hey how do i get connection as a baby we cry out and somebody comes and responds i hope right? Or we don't survive. I mean, there's lots of studies about that. But but as we get older, we find ways to kind of cope with our environment. And, and maybe we get maybe we get shamed for crying out, or maybe we get told we shouldn't have these needs or wants, or we should be able to handle this on our I'm not saying that you shouldn't be tough and find ways to, to cope, right? Like we need to do both. But I think a lot of us start going into our own kind of like stories about ourselves yeah. as we develop. And then we start saying, oh, well, people will like me only if I am capable, able, strong enough, if I'm articulate, yeah. if I'm if I'm smart enough, whatever the thing is, right? And I'm like, so we find these things that we think will validate us, and then we stop asking for our needs to be met relationally, both from our partners, but I think also on a spiritual level. We yeah. need connection at multiple levels in order for us to feel okay. It's a tricky thing if we really start unpacking the idea of self-soothing. Yeah. Because from a very early age, we basically are taught to self-soothe, mm -hmm. to suck it up, to go to your room, to, you know, even our little daughter, we joked earlier about her not wanting a pacifier anymore. And that is a way we taught her to kind of soothe herself. Yeah. And now we're having to teach her not as a baby anymore, but as a, you know, young, or whatever, yeah. yeah, as a young daughter, hey, what are some other healthy ways that you can get comforted or healthy ways? And the reality is in that conversation with her, she's like, mom, I want to cuddle with you all the time. That's comforting. And I thought, oh, that's sweet. And she gets it. She wants connection. But is her mom available to cuddle with her all the time? No. Nope. And so now I have to say, as much as you have identified me as a comfort for you, I'm not always going to be available for you. And so what are some other things you can find that will comfort you? And even as I said that to her, I thought, oh, I even think about just a minute ago when you were talking, I'm thinking about a, a couple, let's say, and the partner has an addiction and the other partner says, you know, hey, why don't you stop drinking too much? Or I need you to stop drinking too much. Imagine for a second being able to say, I recognize that you drink a lot and I want to know, is there something that I can do to be a better comfort for you when you need it? Man, that's that's hard. That's a hard play. I could, I there, don't. Let, let I don't me, think I me, could pull that off. Oh, okay, we got to break this down. Because <laughs> there, first of all, 
you would have to be aware yeah. that like there was a comfort needed by your partner yeah. who was drinking. Yeah. And, and even if you were aware, Angela, and you said, hey, could I be like me, right? You're, let's use us because yeah. I don't, I don't want to put that on anybody else. But I'm like, if you say, hey, I want to be the comfort for you around your yeah. drinking. Well, first of all, I might say, what are you talking about? Drinking, is it a problem? Yeah. I mean, I have to have self-awareness. I would have to know that, oh, there is a need for comfort behind the drink, right? That, yeah. that there's a longing for something there. And then I would have to be able to go, oh, hey, this is a moment when I need it. Like you're talking about like... 10 steps. And that I would have to be available to provide the comfort at the very moment you needed it is a strategy that I'm just even saying I can't do with my kid. Well, and, and uh, like, think about this. And our brains have never been shown that. Oh. I mean, I say never. Don't, we're not trying to get down on moms and say, oh, no. your parents or your mother or your father, they weren't there and it's their fault. That's not what we're trying to do. I'm just saying like, heck, I think most of us just at some point in life, figure out, hey, I've got to find a way to cope on my own. Well, I've, got to I've find even a way to get through. just laid out with our daughter, you and I, yeah. I would say, are pretty emotionally aware humans, parents to her. Yeah. I think that we do a pretty decent job of parenting her. As do all parents on the planet. So <laughs> okay. I'll qualify us. Yes. There was a qualifier I said we wouldn't have any, but go but ahead. But I can even identify that I cannot comfort her every single need you can't every single time so what i have to try to do for her is help her understand when she has a need and what she can go to for comfort so i'm even building into her little life self-soothing going finding her own strategies to comfort herself yeah we talked even about inviting god into those and i've taught we're, we're working on her praying in some of those areas, but but even for her wanting something tangible, and she said that, how about the blanket? How about the stuffy? And so if we can pause for a second and do go backwards into our own lives, and I would even say, if I think about, you know, our, uh, my parents were visiting, and so Avery's grandparents, and they stayed with us, and they were in the house with us, and we were doing some hard work and we were like moving dirt and doing some stuff in our yard. And my mom and I were like working side by side really hard. And my mom was like, you're such a hard worker. And she was saying it like it was a, she it was, was proud. Yeah, 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 she yeah. was like proud that she is such a hard worker and she's passed that hard work down. And I remember working through that my mom was always a worker and didn't (laughs) ever take the time to nurture. And so in that moment, she was complimenting my hard work. I thought, I better go in and comfort my daughter. She's probably, you know. She's in there playing with Papa, watching watching, cowboy movies. Watching cowboy movies with Papa. But I thought, oh, wow, right in front of me, I'm seeing that my mom's strategy for coping with things was work there's there is always something to do and if you can do something productive that is better than there's just no time to sit around and mope and be sad about whatever the Mm. thing is and so i know that there is a part of me that's passing that down but first i have to identify in my family of origin what my family did with pain and what my family did to cope and what my family used to comfort And that's a hard thing to back up from and go, can I identify that some of my present day strategies were taught to me and shown to me and and ingrained in me from early on? And so this isn't a go back and blame your parents kind of idea. This is a can you identify where you learned what you know, which we have. This isn't new Chad and Angela stuff. We have you do this all the time. Right. But being able to back up for just a second and even consider that a lot of times i think we can say 
oh, if there was a lot of present addiction or dysfunction in my family of origin, we hear stories from people who would say they are addicts or have a dependence and say, my dad was an alcoholic. I was in an abusive situation. My parents got a divorce early and it was really hard on me. This, this, like they can identify some unfortunate, negative trauma, traumatic, hard things then it makes us maybe a little bit easier to say, oh, it makes sense why then you as an adult have Do these. whatever the yeah. thing is. Yeah, yeah. But we also recognize in our field that the absence of possibly what you needed, maybe nurturing, maybe meaning around some of the things that were happening emotionally. And if you didn't get those, you figured out a way. Yeah, well, and I, I, I think you're, you're doing a great job. And I, for me, I'm going, man, the absence of good is what you're talking about. Like if in your family of origin, somebody didn't overtly um, come to you and show you how to deal with distress, you will find a way. Humans are extremely adaptive. And so we'll find something that feels good, that meets a need. And that's not, that's, that's human. That, I think that's innate. It's put in us. It's in our DNA that we're going to find a way to survive and overcome and make it through hard times. And so a lot of times what we'll do is, you know, people get married and then one, one partner is struggling with an addiction or something that they turn to and, or have turned to for a long time. And they have this pattern which completely makes sense of going to things that aren't so healthy. But at the same time, their other, the other partner can feel completely betrayed by that because maybe this relationship or the way that the family was going to work was going to be a thing that would meet their needs. And so now all of a sudden, I feel completely betrayed by my partner who's going to a drug or drink or all the host of things that we've mentioned, right? They're going to these things. And now I'm over here feeling abandoned and betrayed and lied to and cheated. And and they're over there feeling like a failure who can't seem to get it right and can't just quit and can't, can't find a way to get back to comfort. And what we're saying is it's not a simple process on either side, right? You can't just say, I'm going to quit this thing because if you do, we have to start the rewiring process of our brain. Yeah. We have it in us to, to want and desire comfort from other humans, but for whatever reason, and again, not blaming parents, but for whatever reason, we have found other ways to exist. And so even though our brain is made up to connect with another human and to receive comfort inside relationship, just quitting an addiction won't mean that we have practice around engaging with relationship. It won't mean that we've lost, we've taken care of or dealt with any of our trauma. It won't mean that we even understand ourselves, just like we broke down earlier. It takes a lot and it takes a lot of work to break these things down and to kind of be able to engage with yourself and then share that with a partner and then find comfort in that partner. And that takes a lot of reps before we're willing to really trade off, you know, this addiction, this thing that's comforted us at, for this relationship. And, and it may never feel as good as I joke about this. There's a guy that gives me a hard time because I said it one time, like the, the thrill that we get from a drug honestly hits harder and faster a lot of times than, than a hug does. I'm not, hugs are not the same as cocaine. I know that. But the comfort we're looking for isn't a level 10 comfort. I'm looking for like 1%, I know this is, or 2% change around my pain so that I can come home and have that anxious day and have that hurt and share it with my wife and get some sense of relief. Because a lot of times it's only one or 2% that we need to kind of continue with the fight. 
I two things. One, I can't help but thinking about a logo that says "Hugs aren't as good as cocaine" or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, this is a bad director. Dusty Goody. He, he always quotes that because I said it in an addiction training. I love training. it. One of the therapists yeah. here at the Joshua Center. But I feel like as you're talking about that, if I think about all of the families and the individuals and the couples that we've worked with with addiction, it's interesting because if a family comes, if an individual who struggles with addiction comes from a family that has a ton of addiction. I almost find in that family, someone has been in AA, someone has been in rehab, someone has been in therapy. They have more awareness that the problem exists and that there's grace and people go in and out of seasons of sobriety. Where this other side that we're talking about, where it's not necessarily the presence of a whole bunch of bad, but the absence of what we needed. The idea for me is that what you just described. A couple gets together. I think it's going to be something. You ended up turning to something else. Now, the shame that is involved in that cycle. On both sides. Yeah. Uh, of why can't, wait, what am I missing? Yep. That you're going to that. But now also, what's wrong with you? And we better get better because our, you know, my family of origin didn't have any of this. They why knew how we, to lock it down and get they, through it. And yep. that's then my strategy is lock it down even harder. Lock it down even more. Why can't you lock it down? We all need to lock it down. The kids need to lock it down. Now I'm yeah. managing everything out of this Whew. anxious place. Yeah. We're getting fired up if you can't hear it. But this is the idea that almost crazy making for us when someone who is just out of desperation and out of exasperation just goes, just quit. They just need to quit. They just need to quit drinking. They quit need to stop looking at porn. They just need to, whatever those things are. And I just kind of smile or something and say, yeah, that would be great if they could stop and, you know. Then I think, send them to CR. We'll try to make it a safe place for them to process. Because that's the catch. We have to be able to provide something that they have not found anywhere else. And here is the sad truth about anybody who has an addictive behavior. So many times in these situations, the very efforts and energy that we're spending trying to be better, try harder, get sober, change, shift, motivate our partner, are often the things that are only perpetuating it. They're they're just repeating some of the negative messages, and that's not our intent, but some of the messages in the flip side of addiction are, what's wrong with you? You're getting it wrong. Why can't you be better? Why can't you even self-righteously be more like me, not having an awareness that I'm using some of my own coping strategies? Both sides, by the way, are just as hopeless. I don't want to say just as unhealthy because our culture will look at an efficient person and say they're thriving when reality is internally, I've been that person who has outperformed every amount of shame that I could muster. I've had the clean house and the right size clothes and looked good on the outside and internally felt lost and unaccepted and unseen. And so that's the challenge here is recognizing that both sides of this ugly thing of of dependence on the wrong thing and abuse of some of these possibly okay behaviors and substances, all of it feels hopeless and all of it feels yuck. And our, I mean, this is 
where Chad and I feel like our heart's call is and our passion is, is to help people live healthier, more connected lives so that they can rule out some of these negative coping strategies, negative behaviors, and dependencies on things that are ruining their their lives and their relationships. Yeah. So I, I want to take a minute, and I think we should go to our connect point and just say, y'all, there's a reason we can't just say stop it. Yeah. Right? A lot of times, you know, if you're the partner of somebody who struggles with addiction, you can see them struggling with that addiction and be like, why do they keep turning to this thing? Or why are they risking their entire life for this thing? And it's because they just, they don't know how to quit. They don't have another option in some ways in their mind. And so the rest of our series is going to be around, like, how do we start to find some options? How do we start to find some ways to cope uh, and, and start to do some things different? But, but let's go to our connect point. The Connect Point is designed to help you have a different conversation about how you experience your relationship. Small adjustments lead to big change over time. Take some time to practice with us now. So our Connect Point then is really identifying what we learned around comfort and pain. Again, going back into our family of origin in our family systems, here is the question we want you to ask yourself. What did you see people in your life do with their pain? Where did they take it? What strategies or behaviors did you find them? The example I gave was my mom working side by side with me moving dirt for a yard project we did and her validating how hard I was working. In that moment, as we're thinking about addiction, I'm thinking, she thinks this is a virtue and I feel like I'm neglecting my child in the process, you know, Uh, but it was a, I was able to identify, Oh, my, my family of origin outperforms their pain, outworks their negative feeling gets out ahead of their bad day. And that's what I learned in spades. Y'all, if you can have a conversation about that and if you can start to identify like, what did I see? You know, and what did my family kind of hand me as a way to cope with pain? I think you're on a good track towards saying, oh, well, what what do I want that to look like? What would a healthier response to pain be? And then share that with your partner. So take some time and have that conversation now. Thanks so much for listening to us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, one of the best things you can do for us is to share it with another couple that you think could benefit from it. You can rate us and give us a review on your listening platform, and you can follow us on our Facebook page, The Real Emhoffs. If you want to support our nonprofit that makes resources available for couples, you can check out the Ways to Give tab on our website, therealemhoffs.com. We love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to message or email us with ideas you might like us to talk about or the ways that our ConnectPoint conversations are impacting your relationship. Thanks Thanks again. again.